Well, last Sunday, uh, I turned 34 years old, and I know, I know, uh, many of you think, oh, he's just a kid, right? Yeah, but there are probably some other people in this audience that think, wow, that's, that's getting kind of old. I'm right there, you know? And either way you look at it, I'm not taking it that well. Uh, there's this saying that the older you get, the more you realize that you don't know anything, and, and I'm, that's starting to ring true, right? Um, but it's also kind of a good thing because I'm realizing that, it, that it's humbling. Uh, and one of the things that I'm learning, and it's, it's taken a long time for me to learn this, and I'm sure I will continue to learn this as I go through life, is that the more I stop trying to impress people and just simply live to walk with God and honor him, my relationships with the people around me are a lot better. My spiritual life and emotional health are a lot better. My relationship with God is just better and clearer. And it's a growth process that I've been fighting, kicking and screaming, because like, I had a system that, that I got myself worth from. See, I, my system was I could impress people. I could check it out. I can play guitar really well, or I can, I can cook the, I can grill on the grill really well, or I can fix your computer really well. I can use self-deprecating humor to relate with people. Now, these things are a part of who I am, but I don't want those things to define me because they aren't my true self. They aren't at the core, at the heart of who I am. And I'm being fake if I hide behind those things, those accomplishments, those skills, those attributes, or whatever. And if I'm being fake, I'm hiding my true heart and self from God, and I'm denying myself the possibility of affecting the people around me in the way that God wants me to. Another quick personal story, and then I'll stop talking about myself. Uh, A few months ago, my wife, Mac, there she is right there. Say, hi, Mac. Pointing around to embarrass her. (laughs) She brought up a waffle maker uh, from the basement. We kind of forgot we had it, and I was like, oh, great. So I had to Google waffle recipes, of course. So I find this recipe, and it was really complex. So like the next half hour, I'm like whipping pans around and throwing flour every which way and separating egg yolks from egg whites and beating the egg whites and all that. Finally, I, I get a mixture that I'm like feeling pretty good about. So I make some waffles, and uh, we, we get done, and I have this sinking feeling that there's something missing. And I open the fridge, and uh, I, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for that, uh, the real stuff, you know, the 100% real maple syrup. So I'm looking, and I don't, I don't find it, and I'm like, oh, man. I start to get a little anxious. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I think maybe we have something in the cabinet. So I open up the cabinet, and there it is, the fake stuff. You know what I'm talking about, the, you know, Mrs. Butterworth or Log Cabin or Aunt Jemima. That stuff ain't real syrup. I don't know if you've had maple syrup, but once you have it, you just can't go back to the fake stuff because it ain't right. So we, we, we suffered through a batch of waffles or two before we ended up just going to get some real, legit maple syrup. And the reason why maple syrup tastes the way it does is because it's just one natural, real, pure ingredient that goes through this long, refining process. But if we compare that to, like, the back of a Mrs. Butterworth bottle, 
You see like the ingredients list there that always has some scary words in it, like high fructose corn syrup, we've heard that one, cellulose gum, this is my favorite, hexametophosphate. That's apparently something that they use uh, to produce ceramic particles or something like that. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, but I, I basically look at that fake syrup stuff as like it's motor oil that's sweetened. I mean, it's just, it's not the real stuff. That's because it's an imposter. It's something fake. So I want to talk today about walking through life as your true self before God and others and, and having real and positive effects on people because of that, rather than hiding behind the cool stuff that we can do, behind the fake stuff that's not really us. It may be an attribute, attribute but it's not us. So it's, it's like it's maple syrup versus Mrs. Butterworth's. So here we go. Uh, let's take a look at the lectionary scripture for today. And remember that the lectionary is a series of designated Bible readings around a calendar. And a lot of Christian churches observe this calendar, so churches all over the world are going through the same scripture. Uh, and our scripture is from 1 Samuel 16, and here's the background of what's going on. Uh, in this passage, Samuel, as in the book of 1 Samuel that we're reading right now, he was a prophet of ancient Israel, the people of God long ago, ancient Israel, from the Old Testament. And he was in charge of appointing Israel's first king uh, named Saul. And a long story short, Saul didn't turn out that well. So God called Samuel, the prophet, to once again appoint a new king. So we're going to start here uh, in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And if the, a side note, if that name Jesse sounds familiar, that's because Jesus uh, was an heir uh, of Jesse. He was, he's part of that bloodline many, many, many years later. Cool little side note there. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So Samuel um, performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Eliab was one of Jesse's sons, and apparently Samuel thought, This has got to be the, the one, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I just, I love that message. There's the, like the truth of God is really starting to unfold right there. Because God doesn't look at the things that other people look at. Like, think about the things that human beings judge other humans by. How much money do you make? How tall are you? How handsome or beautiful are you? How popular are you? As defined by humans. How much charisma do you have? What self-advancing accomplishments have you made in your life? God doesn't look at that stuff. 
He's not interested in that stuff. God is interested on what's going on inside of you. He doesn't judge a book by its cover. He wants us to walk with him and have that true connection with him, imperfections and all. We can't do that if we're being faith. Like Life is a series of ups and downs, and if we spend our life with God, we will be blessed because of it, and that's how we just we live with God and kind of go through that process. Let's take a look at this video real quick, and uh, then we'll keep talking. It's been nearly four years since we first brought to the story of Ted Williams, the man with the golden voice. He was homeless and panhandling when he found fame through a chance encounter at a very busy intersection. But his road from there has not been easy. Here's NBC's Kevin Tibbles. What's up, my brother? When Ted Williams goes back to his old haunts, admirers still stop for high fives and selfies almost four years later. It's been a rough and rocky road since Williams got his big break. When you're listening to nothing but the best of oldies, you're listening to Magic 98.9. From the side of the highway in Columbus, Ohio, to inside the Today's Studios as a guest announcer. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. At the time, Matt asked Williams if he could cope with the sudden fame. Are you emotionally ready to accept this second chance, to, to do the right things with this second chance? This time around, uh, uh, Matt, I have uh, a God. A $300,000 book deal and offers for voiceover work poured in. And you know you love it. One day, I'm homeless with uh, uh, not two pennies to rub together, and then the next day, I'm in Hollywood. And it was too much, too quick. There was depression, Williams says, along with bad business deals and failed attempts at rehab. Clean and sober for 22 months, he says, and finding fulfillment through working with the homeless. He's lost his car and condo and knows his past may never be behind him. I would lay my, my, my bed and my pillow and everything right in there. Williams has a new manager and says this time around will be different. Still that second chance, but this time a better shot at it. He's back in the studio relying on a few voiceover contracts for income. Now that cloud is slowly moving away. Slowly moving from a troubled past to a still uncertain future. For today, Kevin Tibbles, NBC News. And keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. I think when he was here last time, a lot of us took notice of the fact that maybe he, he was surrounded by people who yeah. didn't seem to be there for uh, the right reasons. Exactly. Right. And, and there were a lot of them. Uh -huh. There were a lot of them. So, Please Ted, we time. hope it works out. Yeah. for him, definitely. You guys remember that story? That was kind of like one of those viral videos. Um, an update on that, it's not, so it's not too depressing. He's in Columbus now uh, on a gospel radio station talk show, and he's doing pretty great. Uh, but I wanted to show that video because it not only shows you that you can't judge a book by its cover, but it also shows um, just a life that's living out, living, living out honestly, that's lived out honestly uh, before God. You know, there's ups and downs, and, uh, you know, he had ups and downs, but he is seeking to live life for God. There was a couple of times, and there's a couple of other videos where, where he talks about his story. Um, and I'm sure that he's kind of lost sight every once in a while, like all of us, where, where we forget 
who we are in God's eyes, and we define ourselves by what we can do, and, and, and you'll lose track. So kind of a cautionary tale, but he's, he's, he's still plugging away, and that's just a really cool story that I wanted to uh, bring to light. Let's go back to the scripture here. Samuel was there with Jesse and his sons. Uh, seven of them were there. And uh, all of them were considered by God to be the king of Israel, but none of them were actually chosen. Uh, so we'll continue on in verse 11. It says, Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down uh, to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. That's how they set apart people back in the Old Testament in those days. They, they set people apart by anointing people with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So God looks at Jesse's sons, and I'm sure many of them looked uh, like natural-born leaders, according to humans. He, he probably, you know, they probably looked very uh, um, respectable, maybe some politicians in that group. But God was after the heart. He knew David was to be king, and, and even though many sources say that David was only about 15 years old at the time, God knew that David lived life from the heart. And we see David's close relationship and friendship with God uh, in Scripture moving on from this point. And of course, as many of you know, David was not perfect. Uh, his most famous two things in Scripture are uh, the Psalms, which were really beautiful poems that he wrote that the Israelite people used in their worship of God. Uh, and the other thing, there's that other thing where he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and then sent her husband to a certain death so that he wouldn't be found out. And uh, that's horrifying, right? Like, uh, just the fact that David had those two things in his life. But the fact was that David, like, he was found out. And God knew what was going on all along. And so God gave some serious consequences to David for that sin. And, and that's what happens when we try to live a fake life. See, David's heart started out in a great place when he was younger. We see a bunch of really cool stories where he's following after God, and it's just him and God and his relationship. But somewhere along the way, his situation seemed to catch up with him. Like his power and his position as the king of Israel began to define him rather than him just being a child of God. And because of that, his genuine friendship with God and his relationships with the people around him were marred by some of the most disgusting and horrible sins. So what do we do with all this? What does this mean for our lives right now? Let's start by asking the question, what's fake in my life? What things do I do 
to hide behind? What, what things do I do, uh, do I hide behind in order to, to, to please, like, other people? Or what things do I hide behind that we think, like, um, you know, to, to make God think we're good enough? Ask yourself that question. What's that one thing that you hide behind? Maybe you hide behind your accomplishments or personality traits or people skills or other talents. And I'm guilty of most of those. And if you struggle with those things, take one day out of the week and focus on not using that skill or attribute when possible. I know some of you use your skills and talents for work. But try to take a day and focus on not using those skills or talents that you try to define yourself by rather than just simply being a child of God. Like if you find a moment during this week when you would have overcomplicated, or I'm sorry, overcomplimented someone in order to get on their good side or just to be a people pleaser, instead, in that moment, talk to God and say, God, help me to rely on you for my sense of self-worth. If you find yourself about to make fun of a coworker to look better in your job, talk to God and say, God, help me to be a light in this place. If you find yourself about to brag about something that you did in college and it's kind of relevant to the conversation, but you're really doing it to just make yourself look cool, instead, talk to God and say, God, help me to have a humble heart. And I pray that people around me would be encouraged and feel better about themselves because of how I treat them and not the other way around. Let's take a look at it a different way. Uh, some of us have gotten really good at this Christianity thing. Uh, and it's become one of the ways that we actually try to hide from God and his true work in our hearts. I know that sounds kind of confusing, but I'll explain it by reading some pieces out of one of my favorite books called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the author talks about using God to run from God. As I read this, ask yourself uh, if one of these things describes you and some of the things uh, that you do to fake it instead of truly allowing God to work in your heart. So the author says, in my case, using God to run from God is when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore difficult areas in my life that God wants to change. Some examples, and I put some on the screen here. When I do God's work to satisfy me, not him. When my prayers are really about God, uh, doing, uh, about God doing my will, not my surrendering to his. When I use God's truth to judge and devalue others. When I hide behind God talk, deflecting any spotlight on my inner cracks and becoming defensive about my failures. When I apply biblical truths selectively when it suits my purposes, but avoid situations that would require me to make significant life changes. Once again, I'm guilty as charged for pretty much all of those. And if you struggle with this stuff like I do, find another person, someone you can confide in, another Christian who walks the life, who knows, uh, you know, knows Jesus, and ask them to hold you accountable. 
talk with them or meet them weekly and confess to them when you find yourself doing stuff for God rather than just simply being with God and being his child first. So just ask yourself, what is that main thing that I hide behind? What is that main attribute that I use to define myself? What skill or personality trait, what churchy thing do I do to hide from uh, God and hide my true self from him? And when you find the answer to that, try to be mindful of that during this week. And when you're tempted to use that thing, redirect your focus like we talked about. Redirect your focus on God and the fact that you are his child and he loves you just the way you are, faults and all. And when you redirect your focus and you lay those things down and focus on God, you are truly worshiping him in that moment. You are worshiping him. So during the Lenten season, we've been talking about uh, different spiritual disciplines. And I want to close this talk with a talk on the spiritual discipline of worship. And my usual answer to what is worship is that worship is how we live our lives before God, which is true. But it's also what we do on Sunday mornings, uh, especially when we sing. We call it worship time because that's what we're doing. We're worshiping God. We're singing praises to him for how great he is and what he means in our lives. How thankful we are uh, for Jesus and the salvation that he brings. And it's a moment for us together as the church to redirect our focus on God. We go throughout our daily lives during the week, and, and many times we can lose focus. But when we come in here on Sunday mornings and sing together, uh, it's a time to remind each other that we together are God's children. And honestly, I'll confess, uh, every once in a while I've approached singing on Sunday mornings uh, as just like simply playing music well and, and singing the, the songs well. I'll just focus on the musical aspect. Every once in a while, I'll forget what, focus, what our focus should be. And I'm guessing many of you have probably appro approached it like that too, where it's just singing these songs. Um, but God values our worship. He really values us bringing something genuine to the heart of God. Faults and all, no matter what, God wants us to lay our lives down before him as we're singing to him. Take a look at the scripture in John. Jesus is talking, and he says, But the time is coming, indeed it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what Jesus is saying here is that worship is redirecting our focus and our spirits and our minds uh, and our attention on God and his spirit. And it's also meaning the words that we sing. So uh, if we sing the word of God is light in my darkness, hope for the hope, hopeless, strong and true, like we have to intentionally make that a reality during the week where we actually open up the word of God. So our worship should be something more than just on the surface. It's not about how good the music sounds. It's about focusing on God and his truth in our lives. 
So right now, we are going to take a moment to redirect our focus on God. We're going to sing one last song together. I'd like to invite you to stand, and I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then we'll sing this song together. God, um, we come before you, and I pray that just during this moment, we bring our true selves to you, and we don't hide anything from you, because you see it all anyway. And during this moment, I pray that you would truly look into our hearts, work in us, and help us to lay our lives before you uh, in worship. And we honor you with our words, and I pray that we also honor you with our lives during this week. In Jesus' name, amen.